Beautiful text that we have here this morning. We've been journeying through Acts since the beginning of the year. If you're new with us today, and the whole focus of our series this year has been that we would be the witnesses of Jesus. Jesus says in Acts 1-8 to his disciples before he ascends into heaven after his resurrection, he tells his disciples that you are my witnesses and that you're to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and even to the remotest parts of the world. And that's what Jesus has called his church, his disciples to do. And that's still the call of the church today. And so that's been our encouragement as we've journeyed through about eight and a half months now through this beautiful letter that speaks of the work of God through this little time in history through a people called his church. And we continue to see that even today. And today, I want to begin by by just asking a simple question. I think a question that we've got to sit back and and ask often in our lives. And, And the question is this, what matters most? What matters most? If you think about it, as we go through our day, the busyness of work, going to sporting events, games with the kids, activities for the kids, and and some of that's about to really ramp up beginning tomorrow and the weeks ahead, homework starts to come, and and even though the the summer can get busy with vacations and going here and there, but but school and events and things are going to come up, um, things can maybe start to get busy, and we can just start to get in a routine, which is good. Some of us are like, wait, 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 I'm ready for routine. Thank you, Lord, because there hasn't been much during the summer, so thank you. Um, But what can happen a lot of times is, is we can lose sight in life through just the daily activities of what matters most. And I think today's text speaks to that. In verse 22, Paul talks about strengthening the soul. And when you think about life and and what matters most, it it causes me to think of the three things that last forever in this world. The first is God himself, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He's eternal. The second thing is the word of God. It lasts forever. And the third thing is the soul of man. The soul of man. Everyone in here, we have a soul. It's who we are. It's our personhood. And it will last and live forever. And so how's our soul this morning? Is it alive? Or is it dead? Has our soul, our soul maybe been sapped a little bit? Drained a little bit of spiritual vitality and of strength? Where are we today? I don't know about you, but over the last 15 days, this is going to be day 16 with the closing ceremonies, I've had a little bit of what you call Olympic fever a little bit. Every chance we get, we get to turn it on, and you get, they even have this late night thing now with, um, uh, that they have on with Mr. Ryan Seacrest. I don't know if you guys watch that. It gets a little weird sometimes, but anyway, uh, some of the sporting events are great, but been turning that on and watching that, and, and I just get amazed every time I see the strength of these athletes. And they wow me. I'm sitting there thinking, how did, how did they get their stomach to look like that? You guys ever sit there and think, they're like, man, just what in the world? That just, how does that happen in those arms? And how does Michael Phelps go like this and this? And he makes it, I mean, it just looks cool. Like his arms get longer as he does. And I'm like, how does that happen? And I'm just thinking, dude, this is amazing. And we were watching yesterday morning. That's for you, Grace. And so uh, yesterday morning, we were watching the triathlon. 
And I was watching this girl for the United States. I'm like, dude, that's just, just amazing. She's like running alongside this girl from, I think, was it Switzerland or something? And, and like at one point, they're talking like gold and silver. They're talking. Then all of a sudden, they stop talking. And USA is just, see you later. You know, she's just gone. I'm, just, I'm like, what, dude, what in the world? She just, it's just amazing. And I get amazed at it. But then I started thinking, I was like, man, but what about the soul? Because physically, I mean, physical strength, that's good, that's great. I mean, we need that, but, but the soul is the most important thing. And those achievements are nothing if their soul is not filled with the love and the grace and the mercy of Christ. If they don't know Jesus as their Savior. But I was so encouraged this week. I was so encouraged. I love when those things come together, when, when life and living in public, especially in events like this, come together and, and people testify of their relationship with Christ. I mean, I just get jazzed because then I see, oh, wow, they get what's important. And it changes everything. And so I want you to see this real qu- quick. It's, it's a short clip, but it's, it's something I think that speaks loud and clear for, for us this morning, especially students as you're in here this morning. I want you to listen to this because I love what they say, and I think it just lands, whether you're going to middle school or high school tomorrow, I think it just lands, and I hope you hear this. And so listen to these two guys. You'll recognize them. Belted and um, you know, it's just an identity crisis. When my mind is on this and thinking I'm defined by this, then my mind goes crazy. But we do have to know that our identity is in Christ, and we're just we're thankful for this opportunity to be able to dive in front of Brazil and front of the United States. And uh, it's been an absolutely thrilling moment for us. You now have gold, silver, and bronze Olympic medals. How much does this free you up for the individual event? It does. It takes a lot of pressure off of me. But um, this this never could have happened without Steel, without him pushing me, without him loving me well, uh, encouraging me, and my wife has just been a solid rock, and uh, I I couldn't have done it without them. Well, and Steele, for you, your first ever Olympics, first ever Olympic event, how were you able to maintain your composure so well? I think the way David just described it was flawless. The the fact that I was going into this event knowing that my identity is rooted in Christ and not what the result of this competition is just gave me peace, it gave me ease, and it let me enjoy the contest. If something went great, I was happy. If something didn't go great, I could still find joy because I'm at the Olympics competing with the best person, the best mentor, the, just one of the best people to be around. Um, so God's given us a cool opportunity, and I'm glad I could have come away with an Olympic silver medal in my first ever event. All right, did you hear that? Did you hear the beginning? I love that. David Badiah, some of you guys maybe know his story, and then his, his, his diving uh, partner there, Steel Johnson. I mean, I, I love what they both said. Did you hear that? you pick up on it? He said, hey, if, if I'm fixed on this, if I'm fixed on this diving and everything I'm doing, then, then my, I get crazy. I get this identity crisis going on. But he said, my identity is rooted in Christ. They both said that. And I just was like, when I heard that, I was like, what, what? That's crazy. Because a lot of times these athletes will say, you know, thank the Lord, the Lord ble- or, or God bless me. God did this and stuff like that. But when they say Jesus Christ, that's when your ears should pick up and go, yes, yes, that's awesome. And so they're rooted in Christ. And I love that. Because, yeah, I mean, they, they've got the muscles, they've got the physical ability, but, but what matters most, I don't know if you just heard in that testimony, is Jesus Christ to these guys. And it's real. It's real. And I want you to hear what Paul says. Paul told Timothy this. He says, for bodily disciplines only of little profit. 
We live in a world that uh, with the movement of, uh, of CrossFit, and, and that's cool, with the, with the movement of all these different physical things, there's always a new wind of things going on. And I love that kind of stuff, and I'm all for that. But what happens a lot of times is we as a world, we get so fixed on that stuff, and we can put so much energy toward that, that we forget the most important thing, and that's the soul. That's the soul. Paul says it's of little profit, so there is some profit for physical activity, you betcha. But he says this, godliness is profitable for all things, since it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. I think Padaya and I think Johnson, they get that. They want that message to be loud and clear. And so I want you to hear students, as you walk on that campus tomorrow, man, have your identity rooted in Jesus Christ, because that's what matters above anything else. And as you go to those workplaces tomorrow, I want you to hear that too because we need that reminder as well that our identity needs to be rooted in Christ because the business of the soul, building up our soul in truth is what matters the most. And this is what Paul and Barnabas were about. As they went on their first missionary journey that we've been reading about over the last few weeks, they've been sharing the message of the gospel. They've been making disciples. It's what drove them. For over nearly a year or two years, this journey that we've seen just in a couple of months, they've been on. And they've been traveling 500 miles by sea, 700 miles by foot, and they've been building up the soul of man with the truth of God. That was their mission. It's what mattered most. And so this morning, what I want to do is we just look at this text verse by verse. I want to give us five points this morning real quick that you can walk away with. First one is this, that soul work is costly. Soul work is costly, but it's worth it. That's the first thing I want you to get. The, the, the second one is this, soul building. Soul building. Soul building, it's priority. Third thing is this, soul, soul, soul zappers. Soul zappers, and we'll get to that in a second. Fourth thing I want you to get is soul watchmen. Soul watchmen. And then lastly, soul winning. That's five. All right. First thing, soul work. It's costly, but it's worth it. Listen to Paul and Barnabas. Listen to what happens. In verse 19, it says, But Jews came from Antioch and Iconium, and having won over the crowds, they stoned Paul, dragged him out of the city, supposing him to be dead. All right? So this is getting good, right? This is good. This is good. But while the disciples stood around him, he got up, he entered the city of Lystra, or Lystra, and the next day, he went away with Barnabas to Derbe. After they had preached the gospel to the city there and had made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and Iconium and Antioch. And so, so what's going on here is, is Paul and Barnabas, man, they, they were the heroes, right? Because this man was healed in Lystra. And remember what happens, the residents of Lystra last week, David told us, they, they want to start worshiping Paul. They want to start worshiping Barnabas through their worldview of mythology. They see these guys as like some Greek gods. But the tide turned. The sentiments of popularity, they died out. And the Jews who, who didn't like what they were saying, who opposed the gospel and opposed what the apostles were teaching, they came in and, and they shifted the tide. And they caused the people to start opposing Paul and Barnabas. And so you have this division of the Jews and what they believed. You have the apostles and what they believed. And people start teaming up. And then what happens in Lystra is Paul eventually gets stoned. He gets mistreated. He gets dragged out of the city. But I love what Paul does. 
what happens? As soon as he gets on his feet, where does he go? He goes back into the city. He goes back to the very place where he was mistreated and stoned and dragged away from. He faces his opposition head on. Sure, Paul and Barnabas, they go to Derby the next day and they continue the mission of, of soul winning, of building up souls. They go to Derby, they spend time with the disciples there, not sure how long they were there, but they make disciples. But where do they go back to? They go back to Lystra. They go back to the same area where they face this opposition, this persecution, and they faced it head on continuing to strengthen and encourage the people to walk by faith. Why did they do that? They knew that there were souls there of new and young followers of Jesus Christ who had recently come to Christ under their ministry, and they needed to go back and strengthen them and encourage them to walk by faith. Even though the pressure was around them, even though the opposition was there, they continued the great soul work that God had called them to. And so what's the simple point as we begin this morning is soul work can be costly, yes, but it is worth it. It is worth it. We'll face opposition when we deal with what matters most. There will be tension we come up upon. There might be opposition and persecution, just like Paul and Barnabas dealt with, but it is worth it. And so the context of what we're looking at this morning is opposition. It is trouble. It is tribulation. In fact, Paul is going to say in verse 22 to the crowd that through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. You see, Christianity is just not a cruise ship, right? It's not this easy sit back, easy living kind of deal. It comes with troubles. It comes with heartaches. It comes with grief. It comes with suffering and persecution and opposition. And sure, we don't see the opposition, maybe persecution, quite like other countries do today. But when we live passionately for Christ, tribulation, suffering, it will present itself to us. But we must be like Paul and Barnabas. We may not, must not shrink back, but continue to press on and hold up the name of Jesus. And the second thing is this. What were they about? They were about soul building. That's got to be our priority as believers is building up the soul. Sure, as Paul told Timothy, there's little profit to physical activity, to, to physical pumping the iron and all that kind of stuff and, and work on our body and all that kind of good stuff. But what's the most important thing? Godliness. That our soul would continue to be made more and more godly, like Jesus. We see in the word of God that the soul is dead without Christ. But through Jesus Christ, our soul can be made alive. The Bible says when we believe in Christ, there's been an amazing transformation that has happened. Paul says we're no longer that old, wretched, sinful man. But now we're a new creation made alive in Jesus Christ. But our souls must continue to be strengthened. It doesn't just stop there. Because our souls can get weak. That's implied here. Because if there needs strength, it means there's some weakening going on. There's some faith that maybe is growing weak. And why would that be? Maybe because of the opposition. They're facing it. And maybe some of them want to throw in the towel and say, hey, this isn't really worth it. And so maybe their faith is weak. So Paul and Barnabas, they come to strengthen the soul of the disciples. And we've got to do the same. 
And so this morning, I want to share with you a passage of Philippians 2, 12 through 13. It'll be up on the screen. I want you to hear this first word. It says, work out. Work out. It says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who is at work in you, but to will and to work for his good pleasure. Listen to that last part real quick. Both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Because here's the deal. His good pleasure is to your great gain and for your great joy. But it's according to his great pleasure. So so what's he saying here? Work out our salvation. What does that mean? It doesn't mean work for. It doesn't mean work up. It doesn't mean work to get salvation or anything like that. The Bible tells us in Ephesians 2, 8, 9, that it's by grace that we are saved through faith and not of ourselves. It is the gift of God so that no man may boast. It is by grace alone, through faith alone. But Paul says here to, we're to work out our salvation. He means keep on continually making the effort to do this. And so work out literally means to produce, to bring out unto a certain goal or bring into fulfillment or work on something until it is finished. And so salvation has already been planted to those who have trusted in Christ. They're a believer, but now there must be a sustained diligence in working it out in one's own life. There's a gentleman of ancient time by the name of Strabo. He was a Roman. He was a scholar and geographer. And he wrote the same verb in speaking of mines in the land of Spain and the land of of Rome that they owned. And listen to what he says about this idea of working out. He says, they were extracting all that they could from what was theirs, what was in the mines and what was of value. And so think about that this morning when Paul uses this verb of of working out, it's the idea that we are to mine out what God has richly put in us. God has planted in us salvation and we're to mine out the value and the riches of that into our own life. It's there. Now we've got to work it out into our daily living. St. Augustine says this, he says, we will, but God works the will in us. We work, therefore, but God works the working in us. Paul saw it as this in 2 Corinthians 6.1. He says, we're working together with Christ, right? We're working together with him. We're yoked with him as we're working out this salvation. So we're not left alone without resources. We're not left alone without any help in the Christian life. But God, through the indwelling Holy Spirit and the life of a believer, produces both the willingness and the power to do his will and to literally have our soul strengthened so that we continue in the faith. So what are some practical things? I want to give you just three under this idea of soul building that you can walk away with and say, listen, if I feel like my soul is getting just sapped of energy and spiritual vitality and, and, and all that kind of stuff, what can I do to just renew my faith? That I would return to the joy of, of just my salvation and all those things that, that, that God has blessed me with that I feel like are just weakening. The first one is this, and these are simple things. These are the things that many of you here you know, but, but sometimes we grow so familiar to these things, we forget the value of them. And so the first one is this, the Word of God. We must read the Word of God. If we want a soul that is continually being strengthened, we must be in the Word of God. 
It must be our daily appetite. The psalmist says this in Psalm 119, 28. He says, my soul weeps. My soul literally drops is the idea. So I kind of take that, that his soul is weakening. And why? He says, because of grief. Whether it's grief over sin, whether it's grief over a trial or circumstances, whatever the reason is, he says this to God, strengthen me according to your word. And so there's great strengthening impact and effect and power in the word of God. And so that means we, we must read. We must hear the word of God taught. That's why Sunday mornings like this, teaching gatherings, I grow classes, so important just to sit under the word of God and hear the word of God. So we must read, we must hear. Not only that, we must study the word of God. And we must meditate on the word of God as well, right? That means literally just marinating in it, right? Letting it soak in, sink in. And then fifthly, memorize it. The word of God is powerful. And it is made to strengthen our souls that we will continue to grow in faith. The second thing is this, real simple, prayer, right? Romans 12, 12, Paul tells us to do this, to rejoice in hope, persevere, endure in tribulation. And then he says, devoted in prayer. Literally, it means persistent in prayer. You see, prayer strengthens our souls as our strength comes from the Lord. We're humbling ourselves to come before him that he might strengthen us. Listen to what the prophet Habakkuk says. This is the very last verse in the book of Habakkuk. And listen to what it says in chapter 3, verse 19. The prophet says, the sovereign Lord is my source of strength. He gives me the agility of a deer. He enables me to negotiate the rugged terrain. I think I have a, a, a different translation up there, but I like that one better. So maybe, I mean, you can read that one, but ignore that for a second. Listen to this again. All right, this is the, the net version, all right, the DTS puts out. They say this, he gives me the agility of a deer, right? You ever seen a deer move around the mountains? They're pretty good at that, all right? Getting away from those hunters, all right? He enables me to negotiate the rugged terrain. Think about that for a second. That's what God does for us during the day. He helps us negotiate the rugged terrain. To get through our day, to walk in wisdom, to choose what is right and choose what is wrong. And so he's our source of strength so that we would pray, that we would ask of God, that we would meet with God, that we would call on his name, that we would adore him in prayer because why? he's our source of strength. And it's in him where we find the help to negotiate the rugged terrain, to have the agility to get through the day, to walk wisely. And so we must meet with God. And then thirdly, and this is significant too, is community strengthens our soul. The word and prayer, but community. Paul tells the church in Thessalonica in 1 Thessalonians 5.11, he says, to encourage one another, to build one another up just as you are also doing. I don't know if you ever remember this, but like in, in middle school and high school, maybe even college, if if you were ever doing like bench pressing or anything like that, you had a spotter, right? You had had someone spotting you. And some of us, we really needed that spotter, <laughs> especially me. In, in our spiritual life, we need spotters. We need people that are going to be helped to, to build us up, to, to encourage us. 
to help strengthen our souls, to encourage us to keep walking in the faith. And that's what Paul and Barnabas were doing here in Lystra, lifting up these people to encourage them. And so whose soul are, are we helping strength? Whose soul are we encouraging to continue in the faith? God wants us to be that source of encouragement to each other. In our life groups, that's one of the the purposes and the goals of, of gathering together with our life groups. I know some of them during the summer, mine including, we, you, you become kind of hit and miss, but, but maybe ramp up again here in, in August as school gets strengthening and, and going. But that's the purpose of why we gather and meet together is, is to encourage one another, to continue in the faith, to get in those smaller groups and to really strengthen each other's souls. And that's what Paul and Barnabas did for those in Lystra. And so, that's what the church is to be about. We're to encourage one another to continue the faith, to strengthen each other's souls. But I want to do this this morning, all right? I brought something this morning. I didn't steal this. I, I really didn't steal this, so just, just let you know that. That's a pre-warning. All right. I didn't steal this thing. All right. Okay. So I went to Kroger last night and asked if I can borrow this. They said, sure. <laughs> I think they were shocked. You're asking? Yeah. So it was really fun this morning. I pulled up the trailer to the back, and there was a guy that was dumping off, or not dumping off, he was, uh, uh, anyway, he had a bunch of stuff that they sell there <laughs> in the back of his truck, and he was bringing it. And so he was looking at me real weird, and I said, hey, I'm not stealing this. And he goes, I don't care. And <laughs> I, was like, <laughs> I was like, okay. So... Um, but hey, so, so think about this for a second, and, and, this, and, and I, want you, I, want, I don't want you guys to take this wrong or anything like that, because I, I don't necessarily think this about many here, but, but when we think about the purpose of the church, what do we see with Paul and Barnabas? What do we see with them? They're, they're soul building. That was the focus. They're strengthening souls. They're encouraging people to walk in faith. But, but sometimes we got to be careful as a church about an attitude, Right? And this is just, just kind of this, this thing to put out there to say, hey, listen, we got to be guarded against this. Because what happens a lot of times when we come to church is, is, is we start being like shoppers. You ever think of that? We start being like shoppers. And we live in a culture, kind of a church culture, where it, that's kind of prevalent. And we got to be guarded against that. Because it kind of looks like this. I mean, you think about it. You, you walk through the, the Kroger. You walk through wherever you're at. And you're like, eh, maybe I want that. I'll take that. Maybe a little bit of that. And what happens sometimes is, is that can translate to, to how we engage with the church. And we can walk around and we say, hey, listen, okay, yeah, that looks fun. I'll, I'll do that. looks fun. And, man, I'm all for fun. I think fun, and we need, to, we need to have fun. I think God is the author of fun, so I'm all about fun. But sometimes that's the first thing we look at. We're like, yeah, I could take a little bit of that. Or we, we see something over here, we're like, oh, you know what? That's, that commitment's a little munch. Every week, some of us even bi-weekly, oh, that's a little munch. But this one-month commitment over here, I'll, I'll take some of that. I'll take some of that. And we could be shoppers. Sometimes we do that with, with music. We're like, hey, you know, I like that song. I really don't care for that song, right? The worship pastor has the hardest job in the church today, right? Sorry, John. But we can do that. We, we're, we're like shoppers. But I'm, I'm, every time I sit down and, and read Acts, I don't see consumerism in the church. 
Was there temptation? Sure there was. Sure there was. But I didn't see the shopper mentality. But what I saw was a significant focus on what mattered. What mattered the most? And what was that? It was the soul. It was the soul. The focus was strengthening souls, encouraging people to continue in the faith. Can you have fun doing that? You betcha. You know, I had a lot of fun doing that. But the significant thing was that's what was happening. And so as a church, that, that's our focus. That's what we want to be about. And we want you to be about that too, encouraging one another to do that. Now, sometimes, let's be honest, sometimes our soul, though, can get zapped, Right? Z-A-P-P-E-D. They, it can get zapped of spiritual vitality, of, of energy to live for the Lord, to, to, to continue in faith. And what are some of those things that can zap us, right? Sometimes it's habitual sin. Sometimes it's, it's uh, circumstances that we go through. It can be that, that learning to be accepted by others and we try to live up and please others instead of please God. It can be fear that can sometimes zap us. It can be the deceitfulness of wealth, as Jesus says in Matthew 13. But right here, Paul says, one of the things that was tempting to zap Lystra of the spiritual vitality of the disciples there was what? Tribulation. Trouble. Look at the end of verse 22. He says, through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. All of us are going to go through trouble, Jesus says. We will face tribulation. In the world, in John 16, he says, you have tribulation, but take courage, meaning fear not. Because why? He says, because I have overcome the world. I've overcome all the tribulation and the troubles of this world Jesus has. And so how do we face tribulation? How do we face trials? How do we face the suffering and the persecution, the opposition? This was huge in Lystra. And I think this is huge in our day too. We need to get this. Because they can call us to, cause us to either shrink in our faith, to grow weak in our faith, and eventually even drift. Or it can be an opportunity to really flex our muscles of faith, humbly trusting and depending on God in such times. Remembering that he has conquered the world. In Revelation 2 and Revelation 3, the Apostle John tells us, I believe, seven times that we are to overcome. That we're to follow in the steps, to follow Jesus and be overcomers. Through tribulation, he says, we must enter the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is here and now, but it's also not yet, meaning it's not fully consummated. One day it will be when Jesus Christ comes back. But until then, there's going to be trouble and trials and tribulations. And he says, Paul says, it's through those we will go through with the help of Jesus Christ as we overcome. He's the great overcomer. He will lead us on and he will finish what he's begun. And one day we will enter to the kingdom of God by his help. He's the great overcomer. And so don't be surprised at the troubles. Don't be surprised at the times that we live in and the tribulation that surrounds us. But continue to trust God. And then fourthly, look at what he says in verse 23. We have soul watchmen, right? That's pretty cool. He says, when they got, uh, or when they had appointed elders for them in every church, having prayed with fasting, they commended them to the Lord in whom they had believed. So Paul and Barnabas, they appointed elders, uh, a team of church leaders in these young churches. They're pastors, they're overseers. That's, That's who elders are. 
And they lead and they give watchful care for the church. In fact, I love how Hebrews speaks of the role of elder. Listen to what it says in Hebrews 13, 17. It says, obey your leaders, submit to them, for they keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account. Let them do this, though, with joy, not with grief, for this would be unprofitable for you. In these young churches, Paul and Barnabas were wise. They got a group together of leaders who love Jesus and love people. And they set them apart to be watchmen of souls, to give care to the soul. I, I'm thankful here at the church, we, we have elders in place. I love them, Greg, Matt, Graham, Jerry, Isabel. And I get to serve alongside these guys and, and I love their heart for you. And, th- and their biggest desire is, is exactly what we're talking today, that, that your soul would be strengthened, that, that, that you would continue to walk in the faith. No matter what tribulation or trials you walk through, that, that God will continue to walk with you. They love you. They care for you. They pray for you. And that's what an elder and overseer does. They pray. Not only that, they, they help teach. They help lead and give direction according to God's will. They protect. They protect according to sound doctrine to the word of God. And I'm appreciative of them here. But they give watch to your soul. And it's a joyful thing for them. And I pray it's a joyful thing for you. They care for your soul, though. And God's given them to us, and I'm thankful for them. And lastly, look what happens. Soul winning. And we'll close on this. See, Paul and Barnabas, they were sent from Antioch, from a church, to go out on a mission journey. Some year, two years, a total of about 1,200 miles traveled by sea and on land. They've done that work. And now they go back to the church that sent them out. Listen to what it says in verse 24 through 28. They passed through Pisidia. They came into Pamphylia. When they had spoken the word in Perga, they went down to Italia. From there they sailed to Antioch, from which they had been commended to the grace of God for the work that they had accomplished. When they had arrived and gathered the church together, they began to report all things that God had done with them. And how he had opened a door of a faith excuse me, of faith to the Gentiles. And they spent a long time with the disciples. And so what does Paul and Barnabas do? They, they get to Antioch, back to the church that sent them out, right? They get the screen out, they get the projector out, and they start telling them about the great journey and how many souls have been won to the Lord and many disciples made. But where does the credit get given to? I love what they say here. It says they began to report all things that God had done with them and how he had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles. What I love about that is we sung earlier, I was thinking about this, we we sung that song, How He Loves Us. And one of the great demonstrations of God's love is that he says to you and I, he doesn't come out like with a, with a help wanted sign that says help wanted. That's not how God comes, right? No, but he, he says to you and I, come join me in what I'm already doing. Come, come join me in what I'm already doing. And that is love. God telling us, come and be about the most important thing in the world. And you get to be a part of that. 
And that is making much of God. That is, that is living for God and honoring him, making his name great, shouting out his renown through your life and what you say and what you do. You get to join God in doing that. That's love. And he's the one that is opening doors. He's the one, Paul and Barnabas says, who's done the work. He's allowed us to just join him in doing that. Sure, they doing the speaking. Sure, they doing the serving and, and, and the caring. And, and, and is God using them to heal people? You betcha. But they know the source of their strength. And it's God. He's doing it. And as our soul is built up, as we continue in the faith, that's the kind of attitude we have. We want to be about God's work. We want to be about echoing his renown, shouting it to the halls of our school, letting it be known through the relationships of the people we work with and through our neighborhood. Because God has said, come on, join me in soul winning. Join me in making disciples. And so they come back to the church and they celebrate. They celebrate the door that God has opened, the door of faith, even to the Gentiles. As we close today, I want you to think about that phrase. God opened a door of faith. That's what God's about. If you're here today and you know Christ, your Savior, God opened that door of faith by grace and said, come on. Come on in. Have a relationship with me if you're Jesus. If you're here today, you've never trusted in Christ. I want you to know that door of faith, it is open. As we learned over the last two weeks as David's been preaching, the gospel is open to anyone. No matter what you've gone through, no matter what you did last night, no matter what you did last year, no matter where you're at right now, God says the door of faith is open to you. Come and turn your life toward me. Trust in me as Savior and Lord. And I'll cause your soul to awaken to new life. So if you're here today and you've never trusted in Christ, you've never walked through that door of faith and believed in him as Savior and your Lord, Today, I want to encourage you to do that. That's where we've got to begin. And the Bible says when when that happens, that our soul awakens as a new creation in Jesus. So believe in Christ today. Church, real simply, let us be strengthened by Christ, our source of strength. Let us be encouraged to continue in faith whatever is trying to zap us of spiritual vitality, of the truth of God, to rob us of that which is most valuable and precious. I pray today that we've been encouraged to continue to work out our salvation, to mine out the value of salvation, the great wealth and preciousness of it that God has given to us, and that we'd continue to seek to be more like him. Let's pray.